0: Let's pray. God, we do thank you for your uh, amazingness. We thank you for your desire to share that amazingness, not just with us, your people, but with the entire world. I pray, Lord, that uh, as we worship this morning, that we would sense that and see that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, the microphone's working. That's good. Hiccups are just hiccups. And we're even getting the the volume adjusted. Best way to get over hiccups is to talk back and forth, right? Unplanned, okay? Name somebody great. Jesus, always a correct answer in the church, good. Somebody else in your life, somebody that you know, greatness. Your dad, okay? The Honorable Dwight Spots, 12-year pastor here. Thank you, just your dad. I like that. That's uh, I actually very much value that clarification. Okay. Okay, Bud Anstead, Chaplain Colonel Bud Anstead. Good. Okay. <laughs> He's blushing. Ginny's friend, Michael Holland. Who else? Greatness. Lieutenant Colonel Colonel Gary Banks, okay? Now, we're, we're in the process, boys. We're in the process of saying different colonels. Did you get to hang out with any great colonels this past weekend? Who? Mr. Tom, Colonel Tom Greco, retired, retired Colonel Tom Greco. You guys, uh, some of you know him. Who else? Greatness in your life. Who would you call greatness? Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa? okay, good, thank you. Roscoe Bell. Okay, good. My mom. Your mom. Where is your mom? Uh, I got last night. Ah, I feel bad for the little girl and for your mom. Okay, the little one. Even the littlest of babies can be greatness. Good. Anybody else? Teachers and volunteers. Teachers and volunteers agreed fully. Greatness. Greatness. Anybody else? This is fun. See, the hiccups are now gone. We're nice and relaxed. We're Neil, Neil Lyons. Okay, good. My mother. Your mother. Okay, good. Your parents. Very nice. Thank you, Miss Esther. Miss Ezra is pointing at her dad. And oh, excuse me. Clarification: She's pointing at her mom. <laughs> 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 I am going to point at your dad, Esri. <laughs> you're oh, excuse me. You're pointing at both of them. Good clarification. How about both food and food and food? <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. Remember that. Okay. Greatness. You can usually tell when you're around it. Sometimes people hide it well, but there's just something about true and genuine greatness. Two guys I know, Jerry Sitzer and Roger Morlang, are both professors at Whitworth University. By all intents and purposes, they are just men who live their lives following God, loving their wives and children, and doing what God created them to do. But for me... Maybe I should say to me, these two gentlemen, when I'm in the presence of them, I know that I'm in the presence of greatness. You see, each man has multiple degrees. Each has written something that has contributed to the growth of God's kingdom, and each man cares, and I mean genuinely cares, for each person that they interact with. When I was in seminary, I was reading a textbook from a very well known author. And in his textbook, he cited one of Jerry Sitzer's books as very transformative in his life. And I wanted to raise my hand and say, I know Jerry, I know Jerry. Now, Roger Morley, and I, I could flip to the front of my Bible, and I could point to his name in here as one of the editors for the book of Acts, the New Living Translation. These are just two examples of their greatness, and, and I could go on. But well, books and degrees aren't the only things that make these men great. From the times that I have rubbed shoulders with them, I can tell you that they are great leaders and relational leaders at that. There has been times where I haven't seen them or talked to them for years, and I've walked into their office and they've picked up the conversation exactly where it was before. It's usually, hey, James, do you like a cup of coffee? And how is this going? Something that years earlier we had talked about, relational greatness. Greatness. Now I know that if either of these men were here, they would be a bit uncomfortable with me calling them great because neither of them would consider themselves great. They would simply say they're doing what God has called them to do. Greatness. You can usually tell when you're in the presence of it. I want to ask God's blessing on our time in Scripture before we continue. Lord God, you've weighed heavy on my heart this morning that... Uh, the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you. And I ask that as I speak, that would be the case. I ask that if there's things that I've planned that would, uh, that would not point to you, uh, I ask you take those out. And I ask that the things that you once said would be said loud and clearly from you. Bless our time in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Ezra chapter 7 with me. As you're turning there, just a quick recap, last week we heard stories of the Israelite exiles making their way back to Jerusalem. They were going back to rebuild the temple. Now the rebuild started with the rebuilding of the altar so they would have a place to sacrifice. You see that in Ezra chapter 3, excuse me, yeah, early Ezra chapter 3, and in Ezra chapter 10 you see them pouring the foundations to the temple. Now, we finished last week with the Israelite people celebrating the Passover in the completed temple. That was the end of chapter 6, verses 19 and 22. Today, we pick up the story in Ezra chapter 7. Go ahead and follow along in Ezra chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. And here's the deal. I give you permission to interrupt me if I mispronounce any of the names and you know the correct pronunciation. Okay? Ezra 7, verses 1 through 10, many years later, during the reign of King Artaxerxes of Persia, there was a man named Ezra. He was son of Saraiah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Meriahoth, son of Zariah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishua, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the high priest. This Ezra was a scribe who was well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given the people of Israel. He came up to Jerusalem from Babylon, and the king gave him everything he asked for, because the gracious hand of the Lord his God was on him. Some of the people of Israel, as well as some of the priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, and temple servants traveled up to Jerusalem with him in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes' reign. If you're following along, verses 8 and 9 are going to sound different in most of your translations than mine. Ezra chapter 7 verse 8, it says, Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in August of that year. He had arranged to leave Babylon on April 8th, the first day of the new year, and he arrived at Jerusalem on August 4th, for the gracious hand of his God was on him. This was because Ezra had determined to study and obey the law of the Lord and to teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. Ezra, greatness, right? Y'all, yeah, like, I don't know. I read this text on Monday. And then I reread this text on Monday, and then I reread it again, and I'm like, oh, goodness, Lord, what are we going to do with this? I can't even pronounce half the names. He answered. He had a plan. Let's start at the beginning, and we'll just kind of work our way through this passage. The passage begins many years later. During the reign of King Artaxerxes of Persia, there was a man named Ezra. Many years later, a little history is necessary here as there have been several changes in power since the beginning of this book of Ezra. In chapter 1, verse 1, we see a king named Cyrus. He reigned over Persia, and the Persians had taken over the Babylonians who had taken over the Israelites. Now, he reigned from 538 to 521 B.C. He's the one who initially wrote the letter, sending the Israelites back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Now, King Cyrus was succeeded by King Darius, who ruled from 521 to 486. You following so far? Okay. King Darius was succeeded by King Xerxes from 486 to 465. Where have we heard his name before? King Xerxes. Esther. Okay. Yes. This is Queen Esther's King Xerxes. Now, he was succeeded by King Artaxerxes, who we see in chapter 7, verse 1. Artaxerxes reigned from 465 to 424. These last dates are important. Theologians believe that the second temple, the one that was rebuilt in Ezra chapter 3 through 6, was finished in 516 BC. Now we know that Artaxerxes began his reign somewhere around 465. This means that there is between 50 and 60 years between when the temple finished its rebuild and where we find ourselves today. Now, in our text, through all of, all of the book of Esther, we get to see that Ezra was sent back to Jerusalem specifically to help oversee what was going on in the temple, to oversee temple worship. Apparently, even though the temple had been finished 60 years prior and it had fantastic location, location, location in Jerusalem, even though it was exactly where it needed to be, Apparently, temple worship was not where God quite yet wanted it to be. We don't really know why, but we do know that it was a necessity to send Ezra. I read several commentaries trying to figure out why had it not taken off. I mean, beautiful new building, and yet 50 to 60 years later, God's saying, we still need somebody to come and help boost worship. Well, none of the commentaries that I read had any sort of idea as to why. I have a guess. I'm not claiming greater smartness than any of the other commentators, but I have a guess. Flip back to Ezra chapter 3, verse 11. This is close to how we finished last week. It says, With praise and thanks they sang this song to the Lord. He is so good. His faithful love love for Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord, because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. Pretty exciting, right? I mean, we see lots of celebration. God doing great things. There's a new altar. There's a new temple. There's new people coming to the Lord. And then we get to verse 12. It says, But many of the older priests... The Levites and the other leaders who had seen the first temple wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundation. The others, however, were shouting for joy. The joyful shouting and weeping mingled together in a loud noise that could be heard far in the distance. I wonder if part of the reason the temple worship hadn't taken off was that there was a divide. There was those who were saying, this isn't good enough like the old ways. This isn't how it used to be. And then there were those saying, wait, God's doing something new, doing something now. I want to join him where he is. Let's go. So in that body, there was a mix of let's go back to what it was and let's go forward to where it is. And maybe that affected worship. Maybe that affects worship in the church in America. I don't know. That was kind of a tangent. I apologize for that. For today, today, what we see, what we have heard is of a man named Ezra being sent back to Jerusalem to help rebuild, to help reform temple worship. And I tell you what, this guy, was he ever the right guy to send back? I mean, he had degrees and training. He had a pedigree. He had uh, God's blessing, the government's blessing. He was simply the definition of greatness. I want to show you what I mean. Okay, In terms of degrees or or in terms of training, what Ezra was, maybe I should say what he was known for, was pretty cool. And he was known for this by more than just a circle of friends. Verse 6 says, this Ezra was a scribe who was well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given to the people of Israel. So he was known as a scribe, known as a teacher who knew his stuff. And it wasn't just by his other fellow pastors in his congregation. It was by the highest person up in political office. Listen to how the king of all of Persia began a letter to Ezra verse 11 and 12 in chapter 7. King Artaxerxes had given a copy of the following letter to Ezra, the priest and scribe who studied and taught the commands and decrees of the Lord of Israel. From Artaxerxes, the king of kings, to Ezra, the priest, the teacher of the law of the God of heaven. Greetings. So the king recognized who Ezra was. What training he had, what degrees you could say he had. And if the king recognized this, it's no wonder that he gave him some tremendous freedom to exercise this training. Turn the page if you need to to verse 25 and 26, same chapter. This is the king writing. He says, And you, Ezra, are to use the wisdom your God has given you to appoint magistrates and judges who know your God's laws to govern all the people in the province west of the Euphrates River. Teach the law to anyone who does not know it. Anyone who refuses to obey the law of your God and the law of the king will be punished immediately, either by death, banishment, confiscation of goods, or imprisonment. The king trusted Ezra's degrees. He trusted his training. I think he would have had a few diplomas framed hanging in his tent as he traveled. And if he made up a resume... Under qualified by would have been this long list of things he had studied, things he knew. Now, not only was Ezra well-trained, not only was he smart, this man also had genealogical pedigree. The list of names that I read very confidently, I probably butchered half of them, but that list of names in the first five verses of this chapter show a list of the best of the best in Ezra's career field. And he was related to all of them. I mean, all the way back to the very first high priest, Moses' brother, Aaron. That in itself is huge. But humor me for a few moments. And let's look at what Ezra's relatives did for the history of the temple, for the history of the church movement in the Israelite people. The list says Ezra was the son of Saraiah. Sariah was the chief priest in Jerusalem at the time the city was destructed in 586. He and other key leaders were captured and killed. 2 Kings 25, verse 18 and 21. Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, took with him as prisoners Sariah, the high priest, Zephaniah, the priest of second rank, and three chief gatekeepers. Then verses 19 and 20 have a list of more prisoners. And verse 21 says this. And there at Riblah, in the land of Hamath, the king of Babylon had them all put to death. So the people of Judah were sent into exile from their land. Sariah, the chief priest in Jerusalem, was Ezra's daddy. Now, Azariah, which looks to be Ezra's grandfather, served as the high priest in Jerusalem during the reign of King Hezekiah. Azariah's administration of the temple offerings yielded a surplus, motivating the king to prepare additional chambers in the temple. Again, just listen to this verse. 2 Chronicles 31, verse 10. And Azariah, the high priest from the family of Zadok, replied, Since the people began bringing their gifts to the Lord's temple, we have had enough to eat and plenty to spare. The Lord has blessed the people, and all of this is left over. So perhaps Azariah's legacy to his grandson Ezra included the gift of administration. Let's go back one more. Great-grandfather Hilkiah was a high priest during King Josiah's reign in Jerusalem. Now this priest discovered the lost scrolls of the law in the temple and had those scrolls read to the king. Now, this sparked a season of spiritual and cultural renewal in the land, and Scripture tells us that it was a a time of phenomenal God-following. 2 Kings 23, verse 24 and 25, Josiah also got rid of the mediums and psychics, the household gods, the idols, and every kind of detestable practice, both in Jerusalem and throughout the land of Judah. He did this in obedience to the laws written in the scroll that Hilkiah the priest— had found in the Lord's temple. Never before had there been a king like Josiah, who turned to the Lord with all his heart and soul and strength, obeying all the laws of Moses. And there's never been a king like him since. Now I've got to imagine that with a king like that, he probably spent a fair amount of time with the high priest in Jerusalem at that time trying to figure out what the laws meant so that he could reform the people. High priest Hilkiah, which was Ezra's relative, a man who knew the importance of Scripture. Are you beginning to see some of Ezra's pedigree? Some of his gene- see if I can say it. genealogical greatness? Also in the list of Ezra 7 was a man named Zadok. He was a high priest during King David's time. David assigned him the responsibility of leading the priests who brought the ark into Jerusalem. You can read that story in 1 Chronicles 15, 11, and 12. Now in that, the important aspect of this group's preparation to move the ark was personal purification. Something probably passed on to Ezra as well. You've got to clear your heart. You've got to be clean before the Lord. Shall I keep going? Somebody say yes. Scott, you love history. Say yes. Okay, thank you. Ahitub is known as the father of a priest whose loyalty to the king, to King David, actually cost him his life. You can read about that account in First Samuel 22. Phinehas, who is in the lineage there, is, the, is Aaron's, great, or Aaron's grandson, displayed zeal for the Lord during the Israelites' wilderness journey. God granted Phinehas a permanent covenant of peace and priesthood in the light of his zeal. Ezra may have gained courage and boldness from Phinehas' example. You see, Eleazar, the son of Aaron, distinguished himself as the high priest in charge of the sanctuary of the Lord. Numbers 3, 32. Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, was chief administrator over all the Levites, with special responsibility for the oversight of the sanctuary. Now, this takes us back to Aaron, the high priest, the first high priest, And all these people are relatives of Ezra. Talk about a pedigree. Talk about some genealogical greatness and some tremendous spiritual heritage within that genealogy. It's no wonder that Ezra had greatness written all over him. Now, Ezra had more than diplomas. He had more than his dad and granddad's and great-granddad's influence on his life. He also had the blessing of the Persian government. And God's blessing. We see both of those in the second half of chapter 7, verse 6. It says, Ezra came up to Jerusalem from Babylon, and the king gave him everything he asked for, because the gracious hand of the Lord was on him. Now, Ezra knew that it was God's hand that was doing all this for him, and he was careful to give credit to God for that. Verse 27. Praise the Lord, Ezra said, the God of our ancestors, who made the king want to beautify the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, and praise him for demonstrating such unfailing love to me by honoring me before the king, his council, and all the mighty nobles. I felt encouraged because the gracious hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered some of the leaders of Israel to return with me to Jerusalem." When opportunities arose for Ezra to give credit to what was going on, he gave credit to where it was due to God. Now, not only did he give proper credit, I want to say that Ezra was also a very good leader of people. See, the king had given him an abundant supply of things to go back to Jerusalem with, to restore the the temple and to add to temple worship with. But the king did not give him an escort. Didn't give him a military to go back with him. So what do you think Ezra did? You think he snapped his greatness finger and formed an army in an afternoon, ready to protect him on a march back? No. He called the people to prayer. Chapter 8, verse 21 to 23. Ezra says, And there by the Ahava Canal I gave orders for all of us to fast and humble ourselves before God. We prayed that he would give us a safe journey and protect us and our children and our goods as we traveled. For I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to accompany us and protect us from the enemies along the way. After all, we had told the king, our God's hand of protection is on all who worship him, but his fierce anger rages against those who abandoned him. So we fasted and earnestly prayed that our God would take care of us, and he heard our prayer. You know how to lead, you fast, and you pray. What a way to lead, both the people of Israel and the watching Persian empire. Ezra is pretty fantastic, isn't he? Fast, pray, lead, guide, and if you're going back to reform temple worship, make sure you got the right people on the bus with you. Yeah? Yeah. Look at who he took with him. Chapter 7, verse 7. Some of the people of Israel, as well as some of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants traveled up to Jerusalem with Ezra in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes' reign. You notice that each person there, each and every one of them, had something to do with the temple and or worship of Yahweh. Right? You see, Levites, priests, singers, gatekeepers, temple servants... Ezra knew if he was going for a purpose, bring the right people with him. Let's keep going. Verses 8 and 9. There's a slight delay in Ezra's start. You can actually figure that out by reading chapters, uh, later chapters in the book. But even with, with that slight delay, Ezra's journey was successful due to the Lord's hand. It was quite a journey. 14 weeks, 900-plus miles of walking treacherous roads and harsh countrysides, even with bandits there. Chapter 8, 31 and 32 shows that. But God was with them the entire time. And why wouldn't he have been, right? I mean, Ezra was greatness, wasn't he? Degrees, pedigrees, leadership skills, government support, God's support. Wouldn't it be nice if every church today had an Ezra? Somebody say amen. Wouldn't it be nice if every church today had an Ezra? I mean, talk about the opportunity for kingdom reform. I mentioned two guys at the beginning of the message, Jerry Sitzer and Roger Morling. One of the things that always drew me to them, one of the things that added to their greatness was the knowledge, their knowledge of Their love of, their following of, their teaching of Scripture. Granted, they are college professors, but that teaching of the Bible to undergrad and graduate students was not why they loved God's Word. They love God's Word because it points to the truth. It points to Jesus. It points to a God passionately in love with us who pursues us and will go to any length to allow us to know him, see him, feel him, and sense him. Scripture points to Christ. And because of that, Jerry and Roger love Scripture. I want to say that's the biggest thing that makes them great. And I would say that is the biggest thing that made Ezra great as well. Listen to verse 10. It says this was because Ezra had determined to study to obey the law of the Lord and to teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. All of this greatness was because Ezra had determined to study, obey and teach the decrees of the law. Study Obey, teach. According to one commentator, Ezra was not only skilled in scholarship and knowledge of the law, but in living according to its mandates and spirit. His life was held in balance by a devotion to wisdom, a commitment to righteousness, and a desire to teach others the ways of God. Scripture. Learn it. Know it. Do it. Pass it on. That is what made Ezra great. Forget the, degre- the degrees. Forget his genealogical pedigree. Forget the backing of a government. God's hand was on Ezra, and you just heard why. Verse 9 and 10. For the gracious hand of God was on him. This was because Ezra was determined to study and obey the law of the Lord and teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. Do you wish every church had an Ezra? We do. We do. We've got the potential for a church full of them. Every single one of you can study, can obey, and can teach Scripture. Now, does that mean that you're all going to go to seminary? No. No. Does that mean that you're never going to break any of God's laws and precepts? No. Does that mean that you're all going to stand up here and preach? No. Teach an Awana course? No. Uh, teach Formation Hour? Probably not. But if you devote yourself to studying Scripture and obeying Scripture, and if you're passionate about that, that in itself will teach other people. Do we need an Ezra here? Greatness is here. Greatness is here. Now, there might be a handful of you thinking to yourself, I I don't know. I think James is just filling us full of hot air this morning. This is a motivational pep talk this morning. Let me show you a few things, okay? You may not have the backing of the Persian government. In all honesty, I don't even know if you got the backing of your own government. Okay, But I'm going to tell you what you do have. You've got God on your side. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. You know this. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave himself for us all, won't he give us everything else? Okay, God's backing Check. How many of you have great genealogical pedigree? Raise your hand. Okay, some of you. Good. Great spiritual pedigree. Okay, some of you. Good. Most of you, not so much. I'm not boasting here. I've got missionary parents. Okay. My grandfather was a longtime pastor. My great-grandparents were missionaries. That doesn't matter. It does not matter. You know why? Because I've got a brother who is the son of God. And I've got a God who calls me his child. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. And that is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. 1 John 3, verse 1, see how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. I may not, you may not have a group of chief priests in your lineage, but you have got a phenomenal spiritual heritage in Jesus Christ and in the Father. Amen? Amen. Okay, so God's backing, check. Spiritual pedigree, Check. What about degrees? Raise your hand. No, don't raise your hand, okay? I don't know what degrees you have. I don't know who graduated from junior high. I don't know who graduated from high school, who got an undergrad, who got a graduate degree, okay? But I think some of you need degrees, whether you have them or not. Stacia, can, can you come up here? I've spent time thinking this past week about the people we have in here, Okay? And we have got a group of people that that God wants to use. And there's a lot of people in here who may not normally be recognized. So we've got some degrees for them, okay? Go Go ahead and start up. I want to read to you what this says. This says honorary degree from God's church. This diploma certifies that the board of directors, upon recommendation from the pastoral staff, has conferred the degree of... And I've got different degrees for different people. With all the honors, rights, and privileges appertaining to that distinction, we charge you now to continue to study God's Word, obey God's Word, and teach God's Word. In witness whereof, we have affixed our signatures and the seal of the Collegius Maximus First Churchius in Spokane, Washington. The first day of February 2015. We've got signatures from myself, our office administrator, and a board member. This first degree, I would like to confer upon Don Davis. He doesn't even know I'm talking to him. Okay? Don, I want to confer a degree upon you of laborious, workiest extraordinaire for your work over the years in the construction of First Church and the remodel process. That's for you. Madonna Owen, I'd like to confer upon you the degree of Tagius handed outicus for your faithful service at our kids' table in the foyer. with a degree of victorious visitorius to Bill Mortensen for his selfless visitation of so many people in the hospital. You don't have a hat? I got a hat in my office. You can wear my hat. We'll take pictures afterwards. I'd like to confer the decree upon supremious words of encouragement to Lucille Davis, who is not here, okay, but for her thoughtful notes to so many people over the years. Many of you have been touched by those. Would you give that to your wife, please? Okay. Now, we're missing another young man, which is, which is kind of disappointing to me, because I want to confer upon him the decree of Quietus Humblius Giganticus to Dakota Merrill. Okay, He quietly, humbly serves in several areas of ministry. For the, the, decree, the decree of Ledeus of Anthemomica, Jerry Kleppinger, for your years of leading worship on the piano at this church, we'd like to confer the degree of patientius amazingness with adolescentius to Susan Huffman for her faithful service with our children. Receiving the degree is my daughter Kendra. With a degree of fellowship, tablius wiped down a kiss. I want to say that again because that's just cool. Fellowship, tablius wiped down a kiss. Jerry Duco, for your faithful service in cleaning up after our fellowship hour. Oh, and it's too bad Art Oler's not here because he's getting the the degree of acostius acknowledgementius. Because he greets people. He accosts them, excuse me, for your service in leading our volunteer greeters. We'll make sure he gets that. With the degree of collectius of resources, for your faithful service in organizing our weekly ushers, David Urice. For the degree of Helperonica of Mamisius Superbica, Annika Lund. She's upstairs. You want to go get her? Yeah, somebody go get her really quick. It'd be great just to... Yeah, we're going to come back to her. Okay? With the degree of Servius in the Shadowsica. That one could have been written better. Serving in the shadows for your faithful service on Friday mornings and at weddings and funerals, Kathy Hannaford. Well, you're welcome very much. With the degree of Prayer Warrior Faithful Lysias for your regular prayer with with and for the pastor on Sunday mornings, and for your faithfulness in praying for things on the prayer chain months and months, even after they've been listed, Bruce England. And with the degree of Fixeronica of the Dornabica, that too was cool. Fixer Annika of the door, Nabika, for your willingness to fix any unseen maintenance issue in the church, Roger Forkner. <laughs> hey, Annika, come on up here. I got a degree for you. Look at this. She hasn't even graduated high school yet. And she's getting one of these. You can just stop now going to school. Is that perfect? <laughs> awesome. This is a fancy way of saying we really help. We really appreciate you helping your mom and your dad in service upstairs, okay? It's for you. And the biggest thing on here, it says we charge you to continue to study God's word, obey God's word, and teach God's word. You're doing a great job. Thank you. You can go back up and continue serving. Let's give... Our degree recipients, another round of applause. Wonderful. (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you for that. (laughs) For the degree of repetition of same (laughs) song-a-kiss. We have 13 degrees that we handed out. And I could have handed out degrees to so many more. We only had so much cardstock in the lower office. (laughs) Greatness. We have that in here. We have that in here. And as those degrees say, we charge you to study God's word. Obey God's word. Teach God's word in life, in lesson, in every moment, in every way you possibly can. Jesus has done the hard work already. Now it's a matter of us joining him in furthering that. Is greatness because of one person's lifetime resume? No. Does a church rise and fall on the greatness of its senior leader? No. Does it take Ezra's qualifications to make you great? Absolutely not. So hear me on this. I'm not going to pray I'm not going to ask God to send an Ezra here. I'm going to ask him to raise up those who are already doing what Ezra did. And I'm going to ask him to encourage others to do the same from within this body. If you join with God in the work he's already doing, you study, you learn, you obey, you teach, you live. We're going to have a group of people outside this church looking in at the people here saying, there's something great going on there. And that people give God the glory. Let's be great today, tomorrow, and the days ahead. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for your work on the cross because without that, we couldn't be great. But with that, your Father looks at us and says, that's my child. I'm proud of him. I'm proud of her. He or she is great because of Christ. God, I pray that you would help us to see who you have made us to be. Help us to figure out that DNA, that hardwiring. Help us to live fully into that. And God, may we be guided, directed, moved by your Spirit, which is constantly moving and working. And may we be people of the word who study, obey, and teach it. God, we thank you now for the comments years from now that First Church is a great church because God is the one moving and working. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us?